Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. And we've got Pastor Tom back again. Yay! Glad to, glad to be here. Are we going to hear? Are we going to finish up with Galatians these yes. next couple of weeks? Yes, we're uh, okay. nearing the end. Yeah. All right. Okay. Good to see you, Pastor Tom. Thanks, Pastor Linda. I am uh, glad to be here. And that's not just something that preachers say. Yeah, I'm like really glad to be here. Uh, I mean that in, in, in a lot of different ways. Mo- most of all, I mean like I'm, I'm, I'm glad to physically be here. My, uh, I've had a, a crazy last couple weeks. Uh, they, they, I took a, like a six-city tour of doing different uh, preaching, different places. And it, it all began in... Um, on uh, uh, March, I guess it was March 5th, <clears throat> anyway, a couple weeks ago on Wednesday, I uh, spoke in Woodstock, Georgia, it's just outside Atlanta on Wednesday night. Thursday morning, I had to race home, and I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, I mean, any Thursday morning, it seems like, but there was all this snow coming, right, as has been happening all, all winter, <clears throat> and my wife says, Tom, you got to get home, <clears throat> like, there's eight inches of snow that they're predicting, and, and that's how it's been, right, if the weatherman says, you know, there's going to be a blizzard, we get nothing, and then if he says, you know, well, it probably won't be anything, then, of course, you get dumped with all the snow, right? And that was one of those things. Nobody predicted it. Eight inches of snow they're calling for. It's coming down. I'm telling you, you're going to shut the airport. And if you don't make it home, then how are you going to make it out to your next place? And, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know, honey, I'm trying. I got, I got the first flight out there that I, I, I could book. And the guy picking me up at, to the Atlanta airport was 40 minutes late. 40 minutes late. And I'm not like a speaker who's like a diva. But by then, they had already gotten the wrong kind of bottled water. They had the blues in my M&M's. And I clearly said, no blues. Anyway, 40 minutes late. Didn't have a Maybach. He pulls up 40 minutes late. And I'm like, are you kidding me, bro? I'm trying to get home. And my wife's calling me like, where are you? I make it to the uh, uh, Atlanta airport. Uh, and then we hit Atlanta traffic. And if, if you know anything about Atlanta traffic, it's, it's crazy. It's nothing like New York. Uh, it's even worse. And, and they get in and uh, uh, I make it there through the security at the T-gates at the Atlanta airport at 840 to try to catch my 845 flight. Yeah, and I get to the gate and she, you know, I can tell far away. She's like, honey, you know, this flight's closed. I'm sorry, we've closed the flight. And I'm like, but the door's open. You could just sneak me on and everything. She's like, it's closed because the weather's coming in LaGuardia. and We're trying to move these flights on. And I'm like, I, I know. That's my, my wife's yelling at me. I'm trying to get on this. And she's like, you just have to go down the hall of the 945 flight. And so now I'm trying to like charm my way on. I'm like, please, you know, I'm thinking bribery. I'm like, does Mr. Washington have a chance to get on this flight? You know, she's like, no, you know, but because she's Southern, she can say the most hateful things and you still feel good about yourself. You're like. You're not getting on this flight, sugar. You know, you're like, I know that's bad, but I feel so warm inside. Dude. Bless your heart, you know, and all that. So she's like, go down the hall. You're not going to make it. And so I'm like, babe, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to make it. And by not making the 845, I'm probably not going to make it at all. So, you know, I'll see you. Take care of the kids. Send me an email occasionally. Let me know how, what college do they end up going to? I'm never getting home. Go down the hall, 945. Sure enough, flight loads. This is all true story. Flight loads. And I'm like, I can't believe, I can't believe we're getting on. Everybody's from New York. Like, I can't believe we're getting on. There's no way. We get, and the flight attendant, I can't believe we're taking off. Sure enough, we take off. I'm like, we're actually going to make it home. Six, 60 miles outside of LaGuardia. Pilot comes on. Folks, we're going to, folks, we're going to, we're going to divert. We're not going to land at LaGuardia. We're going to be diverting to Albany. Going to divert to Albany. Because apparently, he says, there's been some sort of incident at LaGuardia due to the weather, whatever. 
And sure enough, we land at Albany. As soon as we land, yeah, everybody gets on their phones and starts trying to figure out what happened. I don't know if you remember two weeks ago, there's a flight that hits the ice. Remember this? And skid. Yeah, yeah. I believe we call that a nonstop flight. <laughs> too soon? Too soon. Hits the ground. Lands. If a fence had caught it. You remember this? The thing stops like inches over, over the water. Right? Unbelievable. Anybody want to guess what flight that was? It was the A45 that I was trying to charm my way onto. I'm trying to get onto this ill-fated death flight. I know, I know. Now, now, as if all that's not crazy enough. Yeah, I, I mean, I start to do the math on this. Now, nobody was hurt, thank God. There was no injuries. But I start doing the math. I'm about 225 pounds. I would have added. I would have added just enough weight. To put us into the drink, man. I, I know. And of course, you know how those stories get bigger and bigger. Like by the time everybody, all my friends are texting and telling. By the time I get back finally to New York after, and that's a crazy story. But a week later, I finally get back to New York. My friends are like, we heard you piloted a plane to safety and saved a baby from drowning. You know? I'm like, it's all true. I, mean, I think it's safe to say I saved lives, folks, by missing that plane. Some are saying hero. I'm not comfortable with that. I did what anyone would do when they miss a flight. Uh, but yeah, I mean, God is good. And, and uh, you know, we could go on and on about how, uh, you know, I, I, I would not have made this next stop because they shut down LaGuardia. I wouldn't have made it. Only because I was diverted did I make it and was able to pre... Anyway, um, we go on and on about the goodness of God and the providence of God. And we thank God that nobody was hurt there on that thing. Uh, continuing in this uh, Galatian series, you know, talk about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. I don't know if you've been here, but would you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5? I don't know if you've been here through this series, but I would encourage you, at the risk of sounding presumptuous, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast of uh, parts 1, 2, 3, and 4 of this series. It's a six-part series. This is part 5. Next week will be part 6 for Palm Sunday. James will finish you up. And then uh, we are going to blow the roof off this place Easter Sunday, right? You'll hear us all the way from our church in Jamaica. We hope to hear you too. Christians around the world celebrating the thing that unites us. That dead, that dead Jew 2,000 years ago gets up and walks out of that grave. And uh, so, yeah, so that's going to happen. And I uh, hope you'll bring a friend. Galatians chapter 5, we, we are now, uh, Paul is talking about uh, freedom, he's talking about grace, and there's this amazing thing that happens over 2,000 years after this letter was written, and we as pre- preachers, we as Christians, we're still just a little bit scared, and I know Pastor Linda sort of intimated this the last time I was here, we're still a little bit scared to talk about grace, I mean real unfiltered grace, like real freedom that you have as a Christian, I'm talking this morning about real, unfiltered, no strings attached, Christian liberty, freedom. If I had a big bell from Philadelphia, I'd be ringing it right now, like full-blown freedom. We just don't have the stomach for it. And I, everybody in here can probably guess why. I mean, when you start talking about, you've got to have some nerve to talk about real Christian freedom. To say, what we like to say is, well, yeah, sure. I mean, there's grace available, but there's a limit, right? I mean, there's Christian freedom, but I, I mean, you can't just go crazy, right? I mean, you know, keep one foot in prison, right? I mean, Christ has given us freedom, but not like real freedom. We are scared to talk about real, unfiltered, unwatered down. I'm talking 180 proof 
freedom. We don't talk about that, right? It scares people. It scares parents. Uh, when you talk about real freedom in Christ, it scares pastors to talk about full-blown grace, no limits. So what do you do if you're scared to talk about real, unfiltered, unqualified, without any exemptions or footnotes, real freedom in Christ? You're scared to preach that to your people. So what do you do? You travel 50 miles east and preach it to another church. <laughs> and that's what I'm going to do today. Uh, so here we go, Galatians 5. Christ, I got the verses up here on screen if you want to follow along. Uh, I think that, there we go. Christ has liberated us to be free. I switched translations, scripture translations about a year ago. People always ask me, what's the best translation of the Bible? I'm like, the one you read, period. Like, I don't care. I just want you to read it. You know, you can get hung up on that stuff. I, I use the HCSB. And, I, uh, tr- and so um, sometimes, man, it, it illuminates some new things I never thought. Christ has liberated us to be free. And sometimes I'm like, oh, but I like the, the translation I grew up with. It is for freedom that you have been set free by Christ. So whatever your translation, you get the point. Christ has set us free for freedom. And Paul says, uh, uh, by the way, I got a little ahead of myself. If you've not been a part of, of the whole Galatians series, you need just a little bit of background to catch up to speed. Paul is writing this letter against the false teachers who snuck in and told these Galatians, well, yeah, you need Jesus to be rescued. I mean, I mean, you need Jesus to be saved. But, you know, you also need Jesus plus your good works. Right? That's what saves you. And this was a falsehood, and Paul was fighting against this. And then they went further. They were like, not only do you need Jesus plus your good works, you need you need to, to get saved, you also need Jesus plus your good works, you know, to like stay saved, see? And so they would add these good works, these legalism. And in particular, the legalism that they wanted to put on the people was the Old Testament Mosaic law, specifically the ceremonial law. So they told them, first of all, circumcision, right? All the, these Gentile men who that never would have crossed their mind, they're saying, if you want to come to Jesus, you can, but you got to become like ethnically Jewish first. It's like you can get to Jesus if you take the long route. And Paul's saying, what are you talking about? Just go straight to Jesus. No, no, no. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow all the kosher dietary laws. And you have to follow all the feasts and, and Sabbaths and remember all that stuff. All these ceremonial things. Everybody with me? And that's what Paul's saying. No, no, no. He's saying, look, either you're rescued or you're not. You know, the image here of people, of, of these false teachers trying to say, no, you have to retain legalism. You have to follow these things. Paul says, are you kidding me? Look, what do you need to become a follower of Jesus? Faith alone. Faith alone. Paul's saying sin. It's like we're drowning in sin. Imagine we're in a flood. There's been a great flood and you've lost everything and you're floating out in the, in the ocean or whatever. And you've got this piece of driftwood. You're hanging on for dear life. It's got nails in it and it's, you know, splintery. And even that's not going to hold on very long. And the Coast Guard pulls up, right? What do you have to do to be saved? What's the only thing that could prevent you from being saved in that moment would be if you failed to believe somehow and you failed to trust the quality of the Coast Guard in their boat. That's the only person. It's only a fool. With, you know, all, here's what you have to do to be saved in that moment. Right? Just fall into the boat, man. Just be rescued. Just believe in the quality of this boat. And these legalists are saying, well, you can do that. But, you know, that, it's ridiculous. It's like saying, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to take my chances with this. Paul's saying you can't have it both ways. If you're going to have salvation by performance, hang on to your driftwood and hope for the best. But if you want eternal life, why not salvation by promise? Not salvation by performance. And you can't have it both ways. The Coast Guard's not going to let you bring your driftwood into the boat. Leave it. Leave that legalism. And come and be saved, right? This is what he's, he's fighting against. So he's saying Christ has liberated us to be free. And so he adds to that 
Uh, yeah, maybe I can't get it there. <clears throat> he says, and don't, sub- there it is, stand firm then. Uh, freedom must be defended. We know that in our own country. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. It was common for the Old Testament uh, teachers of the law. They referred to the Torah, the law, as the yoke of the law. And he's saying, don't come under that yoke. It's interesting that he says, don't submit again, because he's talking to pagans who'd never been under the law. And what I think that means is, what, what Paul is saying there is, um, there are some people who need to be free in Christ and not come back under the law. There are others who need to be free in Christ and not come under the, the yoke of, of slavery of having no law. In other words... If you know people that are trying to earn their good standing before God because they're, um, uh, you know, trying to do all the right things and become legalistic, that's its own kind of slavery. But, you know, some people who are like, I don't care about God and I'm going to live however I want. I have no obligations. What Paul's saying is that's its own kind of slavery. You know, it's like a person who's tied up in the ropes of legalism. But over here you have a person who's fallen off a cliff and desperately needs and has no ropes at all. He's not tied to anything. Both. Are not, neither is a good place to be. It's just two forms of legalism. Some people, Paul says, some people need to come and lay down their unrighteousness. Some people need to come and lay down their self-righteousness. But either way, let's all walk out of here free. So whether you're the sinner who's just, you need to come and leave your wickedness at the altar, and you've been doing all these terrible sins and all that stuff, come, be free. But if you've got nothing but good deeds, and you're trying to rely on those good deeds to save you, lay that stuff down. Lay all that self-righteousness down. And let's just be the beloved children of God and walk in that new freedom. Let no one put you under that yoke of slavery. And that's what Paul means when he says, I want you to be free. I want you to not be under that yoke. But I told you, uh, we really don't have the stomach to talk about this freedom thing, to hear it preached and proclaimed, because it sounds a little scandalous. I mean, <clears throat> okay, if you, if you read a verse like this, it sounds harmless. And so I tried to think of how the false teachers back in the day would have heard it and how I want you to hear these, these words. Let me see if I can. There it is. <clears throat> in other words... To be a Christian means you are free to live any way you want. That's gospel freedom. And that's the kind of thing where right now you don't believe it. And if you're a parent in here with a teenager, this is the part where you're covering their ears going, I don't know where he's going with this sermon, but that's not for you. (laughs) Right? What do you mean live any way you want, right? There's some kids in here like, all right, mom, peace. I'm going to go steal a car. Like, right, Get back down here and let him finish this thought, right? <laughs> to be a Christian means you're free to live any way you want. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting a little scandalous. This is where I, I wanted you to be a little shocked. This is how the false teachers would have heard this. And they would have gone, well, that, that, I mean, that's not right. That can't be right. Surely put a footnote on that, right? Or something. I'm just going to let us sit here in the awkward tension for a minute. Let this stew in. Did every 8th grader read this? All these 8th graders? To be a Christian means you are free to live any way you want. And the reason this is such a scary statement, obviously, is what? Well, because we're worried that people will hear this and they'll do what? They'll abuse that freedom. Sure. And we're going to get to that. I promise, parents, you'll be able to take a deep breath in just a minute. We're going to abuse that freedom often, and that's the scary part. But just as scary, Paul says, before he gets to that, is that you'll lose gospel freedom. And that's what this sermon's going to try to do. It's going to try to convince us not to lose gospel freedom and don't abuse gospel freedom. Don't lose it. Don't abuse it. Both those things. 
So here we go. He starts with don't lose gospel freedom. And we'll come back to this sticky sentence. To be a Christian means you're free to live any way you want. Let's come back to that. So he, the first thing he, he says, don't lose that gospel freedom. He says, take note. This is interesting. Take note. I, Paul. It's like, wait, you've been Paul all along. Some people think that he dictated this letter, right? So there's a scribe writing this down. This is the part where Paul's like, he's getting so fired up. He's like, out of the way. Give me the pen. Look, I'm writing this with my own hand. Apparently he writes with huge letters. But see with what large letters I write. It's in Galatians. Right? But, but you know, he, he's like, get out of the way. I'm doing this myself. Take note. I, Paul, testify. This is no longer even a scribe. I'm writing this. I tell you, if you get circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. What does he mean by that? He's saying that, that circumcision represents for the people salvation by performance. And he's saying, if you want to get saved by coming back under the Jewish law, it's like, you might as well forget the whole thing. If you're... Tre- if you're if you're going to put your treasure, your highest treasure is law keeping, come on, make Christ your treasure, not your ability to keep the law. Which are you looking to save you? The work of Jesus Christ or the law keeping rituals like circumcision? Salvation by promise or salvation by performance? You can't have it both ways. That's his point. You can't, you, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to add to Jesus, you're going to say salvation by Jesus plus anything, you got salvation by nothing. And he tells you why. He says, again, if you're going to get yourself circumcised, don't forget, if you're going to go that route, you better keep the whole law. You better keep it perfect. You realize that. If you're going to, if you're going to say, you know what, I don't want to get in on grace. I want to get in on my own merit. Good luck with that. You better fulfill every single letter of the law. Don't miss a one. So don't just get circumcised. You better start getting everything. Kosher food. No more shellfish. You better not wear a shirt. Woven of two types of material. You better remember every Sabbath, every feast day, every fast day. Don't mess up once. If you do, you better have a big stash of bulls and cows to sacrifice. All right? Don't run out. You better stone an adulterer. If you were here last week, I'm just pointing out. Like, I don't know if you heard James' story last week about A.J. Jacobs' story. It's hysterical. I read the book probably because James told me to. I would hate the worst job in the world would be James Lecce's Kendall. <gasps> oh, kill me. It's like on fire. But for the rest of us humans, we occasionally read what he reads, you know? And he told me to read that. I was crying, laughing so hard when I read that book a few years ago about stoning. And, I mean, my point is you got to go all the way. you got to go the wall. If you want to live that way, you're no longer operating in the realm of grace. You're back in the realm of law. That's exactly what he says. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. In other words, you've decided you no longer want to run the, the race in the uh, grace path. And you're trying to get saved. By your own efforts, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to try to go and get justification, that means you're right standing before God. If you're going to try to get that through the law, forget it. You can't have it both ways. You've fallen from grace. Don't let anybody get this twisted for you. Sometimes people point to Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, and they say, see that? See that? You can lose your salvation. Because there, it says you've fallen from grace. That must be what that means. It's not at all what it means. If you look in context, that can't be what it means. People will say, well... But, you know, uh, if you're truly saved, you can do enough bad things to then lose your salvation. If you're tr- it can't be what it means. If, if someone does end up doing these terrible things, most likely they were never saved in the first place. That's clear throughout Scripture. You know, I've, I've got them. Uh, the Father put them in my hand, Jesus says, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. But, but he's saying if you're seeking to be justified by the law, then you can't operate in the realm of grace. It's either or. In fact, in fact, the people who he's accusing have... Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, so like I grew up in West Kentucky and there were these people, we would have like, um, people took church real serious. Okay. 
And so um, we would sometimes get in these discussions, like as seventh graders, you know, we'd be like having theological discussions, which is, that's really where you want to have them, you know. Uh, and uh, anyway, we'd talk this stuff out, and, and people would be like, but if you do something so bad, you could be saved, but if you do something so bad, surely you'll lose their salvation. That's what it comes down to, right? You'll do evil deeds, and you could do deeds that are bad enough, but surely, like, God would cut you off. But interesting, Paul's talking to people here who aren't doing evil deeds, they're doing really good deeds. So if anybody ever comes to you and said, I think you can lose your salvation, you can do something so evil, counter that with, you think you could do a deed so good that you could lose your salvation? Because that's what Galatians 5.4 teaches. Do you think you could do enough good deeds to lose your salvation? And they'll be like, right, just wait for that moment, right? But that's what, does everybody understand that? In other words, he's saying, you're, <clears throat> the only way you could ever, if you want to talk about losing your salvation, would be to jettison the rescue that Jesus provides by his death, burial, and resurrection and say, I want to be my own savior, right? That's, it's not these bad deeds. It's our good deeds that have this great evil to them because we start to think that our own good deeds are what can save us. And that's what he says. If you, look, you've fallen out of this realm of grace if you want to start operating under the realm of law. So don't do it, he's saying. For through the Spirit, here we go, by faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The word hope gets translated all through the New Testament. We do not have an English equivalent for the Greek word they use for hope. Hope in English always means uncertainty. Hope, the way Paul uses it, always means certainty. So, for example, if you say, hey, is the weather finally going to warm up tomorrow? And you say, I hope so. What you mean is, I have no idea. In fact, the fact that I have no idea makes me say, I I hope so, or I'm hopeful of this. Hope in the New Testament, it means absolute uncertainty. That's what it means. So it'll talk about like our hope, you know? I'm banking on it, it's there, it's going to happen, it just hadn't happened yet. You know what I mean? Something that's rock solid, you can count on, um... Like the, uh, like, like the trains back in Austria. You know what I mean? You could count on it. You know what I mean? There, it wasn't like, well, I hope the train shows up, right? Here come all these Austrians. Like, we would never be late. It wouldn't happen, right? Why? Because that, you can count on that, that, that system. Man, they're going to be there. That's what's, it's just not here yet. It's just not here yet, right? That's what, that's what this word hope is referring to. We're, this hope of righteousness, you can set your watch by it. With absolute certainty, it's going to happen. And so he says finishes this thought about don't lose this freedom. For in Christ Jesus, this is beautiful, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is that faith, empowered by love. Or hear my translation, working through love. The, uh, the, all the outer signs of following the law don't make you right with God. And if you think choosing not to follow the law is what makes you right with God, that doesn't do it either. The only thing is faith. We are saved by God's grace through faith. Energized by love, inspired by love. I love this too because I think this applies to us today. You know, um, people kind of stake their claim on some really, some places that, that aren't, you know, in the end what matters, you know. Sometimes I think if, if Paul were writing this today, he might say, for either premillennial nor millennial accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. For neither Calvinism nor Arminianism accomplishes anything. What matters is faith. Working through love. For neither denominational church nor non-denominational church is in the end what really matters. Are these things unimportant? Should we not talk about them? No. He's saying what ultimately matters is faith working through love. How about this? Neither Democrat nor Republican accomplishes anything. Can I get an amen? I mean, if there's anything we're convinced of. Democrat or Republican cannot accomplish anything. 
What can? Faith. Working through love. And I'm not going to say that uh, any of these things are required for Christianity. Simple faith and trust in Jesus working through love. So don't lose that gospel freedom. You know what it means? You know how you know you're losing gospel freedom? You go back into anxiety mode. Am I good enough? Have I done enough good deeds? Is God going to answer my prayer? I mean, I skipped a quiet time yesterday. I mean, I had a pretty good run. I had like two weeks of devotions, but then I skipped one. Oh, boy. I'm going to face some wrath today. All right? That anxiety, am I good enough to relate to God? Do I, do I know when those feelings come, I want you to get out your Bible, open up Galatians 5, read verses 1 through 6, and read them again and again and again until they get in your heart. Don't lose gospel freedom. He's holding on to you. You're not holding on to him. And don't start trying to pick up, you know, God's slack for him. Don't start trying to do his job for him to earn salvation. He earned it. Let him. And relax and live and walk in the free and easy rhythms of his grace. Get Galatians 5, 1 through 6 into your heart. Don't lose gospel freedom. But I promised you that uh, if you see verse 13 there, we're back. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 13. Because that's where Paul talks about the other half of this. Which is probably the more exciting half of the sermon. To be a Christian means you're free to live any way you want. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, isn't there an equal danger? Not just lose gospel freedom, but what about people who might abuse gospel freedom? Paul's already ahead of you. He's already thought of that. Look at verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers, right? We've all talked about that. Don't lose your gospel freedom, okay? There's nothing you can do to make God love you anymore. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Does everybody get that? Did all the eighth graders who were earlier, who were in here, who were like, oh, anything I want, eh? Are you hearing this? He's saying, don't use that as a license to sin. He talks about this over and over in Romans 6. It's like, so let me get this straight. God is glorified when he pours out grace? Yeah. And the more grace he pours out, the more glory he gets? Yeah. Yeah like light bulb so then should i sin more so that he can just get more glory right and what does paul say certainly not may it never be why because you're dead to sin he makes the same argument here he's like don't use this freedom you're finally free from the prison of sin why would you use your freedom trying to figure out how to break back into jail Hmm? because that's what it is Sin is not the good thing that now you're kept from. Sin is the wicked, evil thing that you're freed from. So use your freedom. You're free for something. And you're not free to use this freedom as an opportunity of the flesh, right? But to serve one another through love. Don't abuse gospel freedom. We all get this. You know, those who have kids, we actually want them to have freedom, don't we? And we want them to have ever-increasing freedom, don't we? Right? And we want that freedom to come from an inward place. I want one day, and I can't believe I'm saying these words, but really, truly, really, I I really cannot imagine this right now because i got a six, a three, and a one-year-old. But there is a day when I actually want to hand a set of car keys. I'm not even going to say it. I can't. It's physically impossible for me to say this right now. But isn't it true, those of you who've done it, isn't it true that there is a day where you want them to have that kind of freedom? And you want to, like, have this stamped on the windshield. Don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Use this car to do some good, you know? I was speaking at a public school assembly in Georgia, and I told them, you know what you got in your pocket if you own a smartphone? You've got a tool that can, it's like a weapon. You can do unspeakable damage. To another human being. Or you can do unspeakable good. You can really build them up. Or you could really 
hurt them with this thing. Respect that. It's a weapon. To get a smartphone is a, is a freedom. And don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. So how do we do it? How do we do it? How, do we, how can I offer a church full, unwatered-down freedom and expect people not to abuse it? I mean, how can I, with a straight face, preach, to be a Christian, you're free to live any way you want? I mean, how can I even say that and assume it won't get abused? The answer all comes down to this word. Right? I'll use a laser pointer, which is, you talk about an opportunity for the flesh. But I won't. This is the word right here. To be a Christian means you're free to live any way you want. And an immature person sees that And what they want is still the despicable prison cancer of sin. But a mature person sees that and they realize the life I've always wanted is actually the life God wants me to live. And a mature person begins to desire better things. And so to be a Christian means you're free to live any way you want. But watch this. You begin to want better stuff. You begin to want the glory of God. And you start to feel like I'm finally able, I'm finally free to fulfill the will of God. Something you've never been able to do before under the dominion of sin's power. You've never been able to love somebody out of a pure heart. You've never been able to do these things. But as you begin to walk by faith, you start to think, I'm, I'm wanting better thing. A Christian is free to do whatever he wants. But by God's grace, his wants change. That's what Paul wants for the Galatians. He's like, you want real freedom? It's not going to happen for me as a preacher to build a bunch of legalistic walls around you. And I know that's tempting. It has to be tempting. These the lechies are your pastors. Surely they feel this way. I feel this way as a parent. And I just want to be like, you know what? If you would just listen to my rules and I'll just put in all these legalistic things because I want from you is good behavior. I want good behavior, but it won't work. It won't work. If anything, it'll encourage sin. The really, the only true way to have people that live in real freedom is to pull down those walls and to give them, teach them how to be led by the spirit. And if you talk about real freedom, what could be more freeing than knowing you want good things? That your desires are leading you to good places. How many of you with teenagers or older kids would relax knowing if you knew that your child wanted, desired good things that were truly good? Wouldn't you relax? Wouldn't there be freedom in that? They might mess up a little bit, but you know their heart was going after the God things and the good things. Man, like what freedom that would be, right? I try to think of a way to illustrate this. Living under the law versus living, uh, uh, being led by the Spirit. And I thought of this. I've never played at any, at any seriously organized level either of these sports. So I apologize for making a sports metaphor, but it's the one that struck me. If you're not into sports, I will come with a metaphor one day about <clears throat> ballet and art and, and uh, knitting. But until then, um, you just, I'm sorry, it's the one I know. Uh, in, in football, uh, and I, now I didn't know there was going to be pressure that we had like a real, you know, like, we're going to do our best, Rob. Uh, in football... <laughs> My understanding, at least, is that there are referees everywhere. I mean, you talk about a legalistic game. There's referees everywhere. There's a referee watching and making the calls with the thing, you know, the holding. Blah, blah, blah. Then there's like back judges and people watching the line. And sometimes I count as many as five different referees. You know, sometimes they come and huddle and they're like, oh, what are we ordering after the game? You know, or whatever they're talking about. <laughs> And, they, you know, and then on top of that, there's line judges. There's dudes that check the inflation of the ball, apparently. Yeah. There's, a, there's chain gangs. They come out and measure it. I mean, we're up to like eight to ten referees, right? And then as if all that's not enough, as if all that's not enough, there's the eye in the sky. 
And there's instant replay where if any human referee, I mean, talk about a legalistic game. If anything didn't get measured by, or by a referee, then you just go into this booth and there's refs in the booth that are playing a tape that instant replay everything. You talk about legalism. I can't imagine a more legalistic game. And so the rules are enforced. I mean, I, I mean that word enforced from without referees. And that's why players, what do they say? They say under the pile after a tackle and it's the wild west. Right? Those of you who play football, they're biting and pinching. And anything you can get away with, why? Because there's anything, anything that's not caught on camera, right? So as long as, you know, if you're the second guy to throw a punch, you get caught. You know, if you're first, you go, right? So any, any of this, legalized, right? And the rules are kept legally. Contrast that with golf. You know what I've never seen? In all my years, of, and I haven't golfed a lot. I'm not, a, you know, I haven't golfed a lot. But I'm never once, never, like, flag right there, you know. Like, there's no refs running around, you know. There's people that, you know, refreshments, yes, but not like ref carts, you know, going around. And if I get a bad lie, I'm talking about serious golfers. If I get a bad lie, what, you're in the woods for crying out loud. Just kick it, you know. Or if you're like, oh, I'm in the rough, not the fairway. Fairway now, right? Oh, man, this is going to be a 10-foot putt. This is a 5-foot putt, right? Why not? Why not? I'm in the sand trap. No, I'm not. Why not? And yet when you golf with people, right? Well, some people. All right, some of you are like, you just described my golf game. If that's true, my analogy breaks down. So let me talk to a serious golfer, right? Golfers don't do that. They're known for that. It's like this honor covers the game that doesn't, it's not legislated from without. It's just not fun unless you play it right. It's like your desire has changed. You want this from the inside out. You, I want to play this course. I shot it into the rough. I want to see if I can get out of this, out of the rough, you know? It's like something's coming from within. That's what Paul wants for his people. Not a football religion that's legislated. If we get enough pastors around these people, we can blow a flag every time there's a sin. Right there. Jealousy. Right you, right there. Number 54. Offense. Right there. Envy. In fact, it was envy about number 66 right here. I know, I know. And we're all thinking it, man. You're loaded. But I'm just saying, 72, right? You're getting in a fight. Oh, okay, right, right? I mean, I've been in board meetings where I'm like, unnecessary roughness, y'all. Like, right, right? So we can legislate it from the outside. Paul said, wouldn't it be better, though, to create a system where people from the inside out are being led by the Spirit? And if you're led by the Spirit, I have no, if you're led by the Spirit, you know what I can look at you with a straight face and tell you? Live any way you want. Because it's going to be good. You're going to love God. You're going to love people. Why would I want to put training wheels on you, man? You're Lance Armstrong. Fly. And without the, without the performance enhancing. <laughs> you can't use any. There's no safe analogy. All right, all right. All right, let's wrap this up. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. I mean, does Paul need to make this any clearer? If you're living by the Spirit, if the love of God is pouring forth from inside, you don't need the legalism. It's going to get in your way. I promise you, you'll have new desires. Do you see that word? Live any way you want because you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. Right? You're, if you're walking by the Spirit, you're going to do fine. These are opposed to each other, and that's why you find yourself doing not what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit... You're no longer under the law. And we need a whole sermon on what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. And if you come back next week, James is going to preach on just that.
and it's going to be obvious, and it's going to be, the fruit, it's going to be so good, so rich. But he wants to change your wants. The false teachers were trying to wrestle good behavior and wrestle sin out of the mouths of these fleshly people. And Paul said, let's, let's look at this a different way. The Puritans called it, I love this phrase, the old Puritans called it, you, need, you know what you need in your life? Are you battling some fleshly addiction? Are you battling some sin in your life? You know what the Puritans said you need? You need the expulsive power of a newfound affection. Expulsive, not explode, expulsive, as in <coughs> expulse, expel out of your mouth. You need the expulsive power of a newfound affection. And this is the way to illustrate it. If you have an old uh, junkyard dog, you've got an old pit bull, right? And he's there and he's, he's working this bone. And he's got this nasty old gnarly bone and he's had it a long time. And you who love this pit bull are thinking, ah, he needs to get rid of that bone. Okay, he needs to upgrade. That's disgusting. It's grossing me out. Children are running in fear. Like, we need to get that bone. You got a couple ways to get that bone out of that pit bull's mouth. One way is what the false teachers would try to do is set up some legalism. Let's enforce this thing. Let's go all in football style. You can take that bone and you got to wrestle it out of that pit bull's mouth. Give me that. What's going to happen? You're going to lose an arm. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But the Puritans knew there's something else you can do. The expulsive power of a newfound affection. I don't go after that bone, that nasty old sin you're involved in, that wickedness, that debauchery, that lust, that greed, that evil, that anxiety. Now the good owner walks in with a T-bone steak and just throws it out there. What's that pit bull do? The expulsive power of a newfound affection. I'm going after the good stuff, right? Man, that's, that's, the, that's gospel freedom right there. It's not just, get this sin out of my life. Walk by the Spirit and grow to love God and get the glory of God as your highest aim. What do I mean when I say walk by the Spirit? What does Paul mean when he says be led by the Spirit? Are you getting in the Word every day? Are you getting the power of God in your life? Are you spending time in prayer? Set your timer for 15 minutes and don't get up off your knees for 15 minutes. See what it feels like. It feels like an eternity. Why? Because we've grown weak in prayer. Let's get, let's get back into being led by the Spirit where the glory of God. We may not see the results automatically, but to be led by the Spirit means we won't. I love this John Piper quote. He says, do not go to battle against flesh tanks with pea shooter legalistic regulations. Don't go to battle with flesh tanks. That's what you're up against with legalism. I'm just going to set enough guards in my life and I'll don't willpower my way through. White knuckle it. Now, if you're going to go up against flesh tanks, there's only one thing that's going to work. The Spirit's power. Christ living in you and through you, being led by Him, resting in His freedom. We get a taste of that now. It doesn't mean we're going to get it perfect. Don't get discouraged. The Bible talks about that hope, that certain hope. We get a taste of it now, and we hope for that righteousness. It's coming. It's coming. We're going to get the full thing one day, but we can taste it now. You know that? We can walk in a measure of freedom now, and don't let anybody put you back under the yoke of slavery. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. As we turn our attention to the, uh, to the Lord's table, I want you to turn your mind and your attention to, actually, you know what? I wonder if I... Uh, Scott, could you, could you put us back on Galatians 5.1, just that first thing, Christ has liberated us to set free. Can we just meditate on that verse for just a moment and its implications in our life?
One more. That's it, right there. Christ has liberated us to be free. Will you ponder with me the great freedom you have? And here's how I want you to do it. Can you remember the day when you were in bondage to legalism, to anxiety? Drugs and alcohol had you in their grasp. Do you remember the day when you were helpless and hopeless and you were rescued by King Jesus? Why would we want to go back under the yoke of slavery. And I want us to ponder the great cost. You know, and throughout history, any freedom we have, any meaningful freedom, came at the great sacrifice of someone else. I think about the freedom to vote in this country. I think about the peaceful transfer of power, where when a new president's elected, there's not a war and a riot, there's a, a speech and an oath. The great freedom to preach, like in a, in a public school, to give an assembly as a Christian minister, you know, in this country. I think about the founding fathers and many of them and those brave women and men that fought some of them with their own life to set us free. Now ponder the great freedom we have. Freedom from death. Freedom from the fear of death all our life. Like the freedom to know where we'll be two million years from now. It was Jesus Christ who bought that freedom for us. You think about what he did on the cross. I mean, he became it as it were punished as someone under slavery to sin. And he did no sin. We were the slaves to sin. Punished as a lawbreaker, so the true lawbreakers could go free. He bore the wrath of God that we deserve, so that we could be moved from the wrath of God to having God be for us, not against us. And He gave up His close standing with God the Father, so that we would never have to lose ours. He gave up on the cross of Calvary. He died in God abandonment, so that He could say, as a promise, "I will never." lot of us would be a lot more comfortable if that verse said, you know, it is for obedience that Christ has set us free, right? It it, it is for perfect, it is for better law keeping that Christ has set us free. We could live with that. It's to become a nicer little boy or a nicer little moral girl that Christ has set us free, but he doesn't say that. It's for freedom that he set us free because he wants us to be free. He wants us, we're going to rule and reign. He wants our character developed. He really means to adopt this as his sons and daughters and nothing less than full freedom is what he wants for you and me so let's not lose that gospel freedom this weekend let's not abuse that gospel freedom this weekend thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast for more resources visit us at chccny.com